Amen. Thank you, guys. There we go. Uh, yeah, I do want to say again, thanks to everybody for being here. You could be anywhere in the world right now. You could still be sleeping, but you chose to come to the gathering today. So I just want to say I'm proud of you, and uh, I'm so happy that I get to do what I get to do, to communicate spiritual ideas to you that hopefully make a difference in your life. And we can form a community together that is with each other through thick or thin. So it's good to get to be here with you all today. Um, today's sermon is going to be a little bit different. Um, I know, weird, as if it's really ever normal with me. But uh, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, at the end of, so we've been in the book of Genesis, uh, if you're new uh, from the very beginning, the first chapters of the Bible, we've just been walking through these kind of early uh, stories that God wrote uh, for us to learn about who he is and how to live and the hope that we have in him and that he goes first. And at the end of every kind of movement in the book of Genesis, we've been taking a pause at the end of our mini-series that we call them, like five, six-week uh, kind of periods and we want to do something that uh, we're calling in practice. And essentially, um, I'm going to summarize the main theme of what we've talked about for like the last couple weeks with a new idea. Um, but really, hopefully, to equip you to put into practice what we've been learning about God. So uh, if you remember, you know, six weeks ago or so, we did, I did a talk on uh, the relational rhythms that Jesus had, like upward with God the Father, inward with the disciples, outward. So there was this little triangle that I showed you um, that is, has been really helpful for me to know what kind of uh, relationships I should prioritize uh, as a Christian in this world. And so today we're going to do something like that. Um, I'm going to draw something for you. So pray for me because uh, God did not gift me with steady hands to draw things, but uh, I'm excited to share about what we're going to talk about today. Um, we've been primarily focusing on a guy named Abram in the Old Testament. Uh, his new name will be Abraham, as we'll see in a second here. But uh, this series has been called Follow. So we've been looking at what does it look like for this man in the desert to hear God's voice and pick up uh, the call to be a blessing to the world. He was God's uh, plan B. As, as you remember, if we've, you've been around, um, God made all things good, but human beings had a free will, and we uh, brought sin into this world and brokenness and continue to spiral in those early chapters uh, until God gets to a point where he says, you know what, I'm going to start by picking one human partner called Abraham and his wife, and I'm going to write this big, long story to bring good news to, the, to this broken world, and we are, are actually beneficiaries of that story, so Beginning with God calling Abram to follow him, that's where, like I said, God's uh, plan of including us, human partners, in his redemptive story began. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this. We've read this a couple times the last couple weeks. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household, the Beit Av, to the land that I will show you. So God is inviting him into this journey, and then he's saying, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So there's two, two like components to this. God is inviting this man into relationship with him, a personal relationship with him, but he's also charging him with a, a mission, with a, a challenge to be, to be a blessing to the world. 
uh, God begins by giving Abram a vision that he would become a father. And uh, it was many years of faithful, faithfully walking with God before Abram actually received that promise. Uh, a little later in the story in Genesis chapter 17, God expanded his vision for Abram's life. It says this in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, so last week he was, oh shoot, how old was he? 85, I think? Uh, In this junction, uh, he's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. We see a theme again here where God is inviting this family into closer relationship with him and also expanding their vision about his mission that he would have for them. He's He's giving them invitation to come close and also challenge to break the patterns of sin and brokenness in this world by being in close proximity to God and listening to what God has to say about how we should live. God gave Abram and his wife Sarai new names because they had chose to follow him faithfully. Not perfectly, but faithfully. And I think that's all of our stories too. Abram uh, means exalted father. That's what his name means, so singular, exalted father. But Abraham, the new name that God gives him here in chapter 7, means father of many. That he would be the father of many nations. God is expanding his vision for how far the faithfulness of this servant is going to go in the world. And again, here we are, children of Abraham in this gathering today. Sarai means princess. But God renames her too, Sarah, which means noble woman. He's giving more dignity, a royal priesthood to this family, that they would be a blessing to the world. And I I know I say it 20 different ways every Sunday, but we are living into that blessing. We get to feed that many kids on the weekend. We get to help that many teenagers. We get to lift each other up because these first ancient spiritual ancestors decided to follow the voice of God calling to them. So we'll, we'll pick back up in Genesis next week, but I didn't want you to miss that God had given this couple a new name, because you'll hear that new name next week, and I didn't want it to catch you off guard, but they were given a brand new identity. Beginning with this family, God would call people all over the world to follow him and to be a light. Abraham's willingness to drop everything to follow God's call is actually a a foreshadow of what Jesus would do when he came to earth. It sounds so familiar when Jesus gives his first call to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. It says this in, in Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, which is a beautiful place, by the way, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. They were working. 
They were doing their job. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. A similar voice to God calling Abram out of his father's household. Come follow me, drop your nets, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. You see that same sort of theme where God invites them into, Jesus invites them into relationship with him, like God did with Abram, like he did with so many others in the text, into relationship with him, to follow him, and then equips them with a mission, which comes with challenge. So he brings them close, he teaches them how to live, and he sends them to do his mission in the world. From the beginning, God has been extending an invitation to a relationship and a challenge for his followers to change, to live differently than the rest of the world. As Christians, we're called by the same Jesus in the same way that the first disciples were 2,000 years ago to follow Jesus. But what does that look like today? What, is, what exactly does that involve? Jesus embodied this relational presence and this challenge to break the cycles of sin and brokenness in this world in order to love our enemy, even, in order to bring light to the world. And uh, one of his disciples named John gives this description about Jesus, one of my favorites. He says in John chapter 1, the word, which is Jesus, he's describing there, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the word, that voice of God calling from the very beginning, uh, became flesh, embodiment of God in human form. And he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and here's the key words here, full of grace and truth. I've done a lot of thinking in my days about why those two words. Why grace and truth? That Jesus came and embodied those two things. What is grace? Grace is unmerited invitation to something good. To a relationship, a restoration with God. The grace of God. What is truth? Truth is sometimes something that we don't want to hear. But it's a challenge that in the context of relation Jesus gives to his disciples and produces these world-changing, simple people on the other side of the world that, again, we owe thanks to for their willingness to say yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him and yes to Jesus' challenge to send them out to do his work in the world and to become more like Jesus. So he came full of grace and truth. For the rest of my talk, I want to show you how following Jesus involves seeking to become like him, for sure, um, in trying to live a life that's full of grace and full of truth, and how following Jesus involves a personal relationship with God, but it also involves listening to the challenge of Jesus' teaching 
and, and God to call us out to become a child of God, to become really returned to who he created us to be in the first place, a return to shalom, a return to the garden. So I'm going to draw art today, my friends, and I'm terrified <laughs> because I'm not good at writing. So uh, I put little sheets in front of you, and this is rare. This is rare form for Jordan T. Stonehouse to have like a fill-it-out sheet in front of you, but I wanted to give it to you for this talk. There's a couple in every row. There's some up front here if you, if you don't have them. If you are a note-taker and you uh, like to follow along and process that way, this would be a really good one to do that. Um, especially because my art is terrible, and if you can write it in your own words, then you might be able to comprehend it a little bit more later. But the idea that I'm going to show you, um, I learned probably 10 years ago as a way to understand the grace and truth of Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? If he's the one that embodied grace fully and embodied truth fully, uh, embodied invitation to relationship and also challenge to grow what does that look like? And what happens when you don't have one or the other? So I'm going to draw you a picture. Uh, and you guys are, we're going to have some fun here. So uh, this is, I'll, I'll give you the name of the book afterwards if you're interested in this. But there are lots of different shapes and stuff like this in order to understand spiritual ideas. And I think this one is really good. You can apply it personally to your own life. You can also, apply, we can also apply it to our church as a whole, to uh, really evaluate one, what kind of culture that we're creating. So, time to draw. Here we go. Okay, so um, where am I going to put this? Here, we'll do this. And then I'll put this here. And then I'll say everything I'm going to do before I do it. Does that sound good? Okay, so um, you guys ever heard of matrix, matrices? Matrixes? Has anybody heard of that? Not the movie. I haven't seen the new one. Is that terrible, by the way? It is. Good. Okay. I don't need to see it then. So uh, what a matrix is, it's kind of an intersection of two different ideas that you can see how they like interplay with each other, okay? So what we're going to do today is you already have this on your little sheet there, um, but I want to show you kind of how grace and truth, invitation and challenge interact with each other. And what happens as a follower of Jesus when we don't do one of those? Or either of those? Ooh, but what happens if we commit to doing both? That's pretty cool. So if you can kind of look at this like um, this is high, and this is low, and this is high, and this is low. Think of it like this. By the way, these are the world's biggest dry erase markers. If you ever want to borrow them, I've got four of them now. So uh, this, imagine, is like the grace axis. Grace. So you can draw that on your sheet there if you'd like to. And uh, you can have high grace or low grace. This, we will imagine, is truth. How am I doing? Thanks. Good. So uh, grace and truth. Jesus came with grace and truth. So we should try 
to want to be like that, right? We should try to want to follow Jesus in that way. You also heard me say some words like invitation. And what I mean by that is like an invitation to a relationship. Invit a shun. My stickers aren't holding up, are they? So uh, if you think of this vertical axis as like God's grace to us, his invitation to relationship, all the warm, fuzzy stuff that honestly without would make the idea of God very cold. It would make him a distant thing that just sends lightning bolts down towards us. But no, we, we believe God to be a father, a good one, who gives invitation to us to join the family again. Truth, think of this as uh, also challenge. There we go. Good. And we'll just do a little underline there for fun. And draw, 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 draw. Okay, good. So um, what happens when you, so now you see what I've laid out, just to reiterate, you can have high grace in your life. Yes, that's important to me. I'm going to live into receiving the, the grace of God. And you can have high challenge in your life. And the goal, we'll get to here, the goal is to become like Jesus is to live with grace and truth like he did, right? To accept the invitation and to live into the challenge. What happens when you uh, are a high grace and high invitation person, but you just tend to say no to the challenge? That, my friends, is where you, three things, I think, and you could use lots of different words here, but um, if we are only willing to take and not give, then we become selfish people. If we are willing to, I don't know if this is how you actually spell this, but if we are willing to receive the goodness of God but never do what God tells us to do, then we're just living a comfy life. Is that how you spell comfy? Is it a legit word, actually? Okay, good. This is fun, isn't it? Um, uh, selfish, comfy, and um, this one, maybe you push back a little bit on this, but I think um, this has been a big focus in my life. Hippo. If I, as a follower of Jesus, am only willing to like receive forgiveness from God, but I'm never willing to extend it, what does that make me? Why are you laughing, Adam? Wait, wait, how do you spell it? This is not really my worst nightmare. I, I figured something like this would go wrong. Um, but could you imagine being me and misspelling something in front of your friends as a 36-year-old full-grown man? Okay, so you get the idea. If, you, if, we're, if we want just the good fuzzy parts of what it means to follow Jesus, then we kind of end up with this. And we've all been there, right? Um, but let's say we... Stop laughing at me, you. It's comfy. What other word did I spell wrong? So? I know I spelled it different here. And Wait, hypo, whatever. I'm just going to keep going. Um, I was homeschooled. So I can say stuff like that, okay? Leave me alone. Okay, so let's say you end up with low 
uh, relationship, low grace, low invitation, and low challenge, what's the result of that kind of culture? What's the result of that kind of life? You will first of all be very bored. Because you have no relationship. You have no adventure. You have no growth potential. If we don't believe that God loves us, and we don't believe there's any mission for us to serve in this world. Another way to put it might be apathy. Or just straight up stuck. Have you ever thought about how um, I've had struggles with depression in my life? Man, this is all over the place, isn't it? Um, circus. But have you ever thought about how like apathy might actually be worse than depression? I'm not going to do a whole big mental health talk right now. I'm willing to. But I think when you, when you cease to care, that almost is a sadder place to be than if you're struggling emotionally with sadness. I know it's a very loaded thing to say, but in my experience anyways, it's almost better to feel something. You think of the Psalms, right? Where they were crying out to God in anguish and he met them in their pain. So that's not a great place to be either. Um, but if we are high truth, high challenge, and low grace, you guys have been waiting for this one. Um, first of all, you have to be impersonal. Because that's to deny a relationship with God that you were created for. It also means because you'll never, be, never live up to your own standards, you are discouraged. Are you getting a peek into my brain right now in ways that are just strange? Um, not only in, if we're high challenge and low uh, invitation, high truth and low grace, are we impersonal and we'll just fake it <laughs> to try to seem like we're doing all right, but that doesn't work. So you're also extremely discouraged because we'll let ourselves down. And that, for sheezy, leads to a life defined by stress. I don't know, because, because I, don't tech, I don't like start, that's not my starting place, I'll get there in a little bit. Like this feels like that would lead to a depression episode. Um, but maybe for some of you it would be a little bit different. So Jesus called us though, uh, to live a life, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's saying, come and... You know how big of an honor that was for Jesus to call those people to be his disciples? That doesn't happen. Usually rabbis call the best of the best of the best, but he called these fishermen who had missed the boat. Hey. Um, they missed the opportunity to make the cut in normal Jewish rabbinic tradition. But he called them to come into relationship with him to be his disciples. So.
So the first obvious word that I have to put up here when we have a high commitment to the grace and invitation of God, to our identity uh, in Christ, and a high commitment and, uh, I don't know, faithful following of the words of Jesus, that's really when we can call ourselves a disciple, right? And I think when we look at kind of how these work, uh, discouraged, yes, too comfortable to see the big picture, the adventure that God has for us if we live on mission, when we actually do walk in the grace and truth of Jesus, we live an inspired life. And that, I think, is one of the ways that we can know what it means to truly feel alive. So, what was really helpful for me when I learned this kind of tool to see how these ideas interact um, I was able to place myself somewhere kind of naturally on this grid. There's four quadrants. Like, where, where do I start usually? And that's actually where I'd like to draw your attention to. Because I think certainly as a... Uh-oh. Um, as a culture, we collectively um, will end up living into one of these... But individually, too, am I living into both the, the call to a, a beautiful relationship with God and the challenge of his word and his spirit in my life? So I'll tell you what. Jordan T. Stonehouse, um, this is probably my default area. That is, um, I tend to be a high invitation, high relational person, both with myself and with others. But sometimes I struggle to share the truth when the truth is hard for me to share with myself in the mirror um, and sometimes my friends. It sounds strange, right? Because pastors are supposed to be the ones that do this and don't care about people's feelings. Um, But I do. I love you. I love me. That sounds weird to say, but I do. I believe that I am a child of God, but you know what the growth area in my life is? Is learning from people who might be more high challenge than I am and learning how to grow and balance. I see my wife smiling at me because she might be that one. Um, so, but, but here's the interesting thing. Wouldn't it be sweet if I could just go, hey, I think I'll be this now, and I'll just stop only caring about my feelings and my heart and my relationship with God and that stuff. And I don't have to go through the pain of what growth looks like. Here's what normally happens, though, is when I have to, I'll just make it personal, when I have to grow in challenge, which is a process for me always, uh, it feels more like this.
And this little area right there is very, very painful. Because the feeling you get when you are a high invitation person and God is calling you to grow in your truth and your obedience to listen to his word and the challenge is that it feels like a decrease in the relational quality. Anybody feeling that? But the weird thing is, is that's like, that's like the valley of the shadow of death right there, right? That is where growth actually happens. Listen, I, I do, I, I'm not ashamed of that personally for myself. I'm not ashamed that I can help people to see the, the need for grace, the silver lining. Um, I'm glad mommy taught me to be that. <laughs> I am. And, man, the more I follow Jesus, the more I live this life, the more challenges I face, the more I can see that I can really learn from people who are higher challenge. For them... That might be, where's my eraser? Where'd you go, you little rascal? Huh? No idea where it went. Okay, uh, for them it might be, just eliminate all that. I think you know where I'm going with this. Let's say you're here. For you, your kind of growth trajectory, if you're a higher challenge person, that um, has a hard time with the, the soft side of faith, with the relational side of faith. Uh, this, for sure, is your growth area. But you might feel lazy. Or you might feel like the lines are too blurred. Or it's unfair. Because learning about grace is unfair. And learning about truth is challenging. And we need both. So you have that sheet in front of you. And certainly there's another place that you could be. We all want to be there. And maybe you find yourself here. And if you do, I would love to talk with you to help figure out, is it grace that you need today or is it truth? I think about this with my kids. My wife and I think about it with each other. I think about it as a leader and as a man looking at myself in the mirror. Leadership begins with the self. So where are you today? Where do you find yourself? And it's okay if you feel like you're living into uh, the empowered disciple and alive form of discipleship. I have days that feel like that, but if I'm honest with you, and I would invite your honesty with yourself on that little paper, what's easier for you to, to accept? Is it the unconditional love of God that chases after mountains? Or is it Jesus that says, go and leave your life of sin? 
Or is it Jesus that directs us in a new way to live? It's hard for everybody. So, phew. There's nobody in here that this is not challenging for. But I wanted to give you this tool today as a way to kind of gauge the pulse in your own relationship with God. Maybe to gauge the pulse of our church sometimes. Some, some churches are going to be very heavy truth. And it's going to feel unwelcoming to anybody who doesn't fit the mold. Some maybe might hang here a little bit and it, it feels like the word is being watered down. Or maybe there's that too, I don't know. Our goal, though, isn't it, as disciples of Jesus, is to live into the full grace and the full truth and the full love of our God. It's so easy to understand as a parent. There's times when I need to just chill out and recognize that they're, they're kids. <laughs> and they're going to hit each other or kick me in the face. I don't know what gives Bridget that idea. <laughs> My poor face. Um, <laughs> but isn't it true that being a good parent also is helping your child at a, such a patient pace to become the person that I know they can? It's so similar with God. Jesus came with grace and truth. So where are you today? And I wonder what would happen is if as a community we, sh we use language like this, um, not as weapons, but as ways to help each other grow closer to God. Is this a season where you're really needing to be reminded of how much God loves you? Or is this a season where you're really challenged to, to do what, what Jesus says? To walk the path? It's not either or, it's both. That's what makes Jesus so awesome and so, so challenging. He meets us in the gutters and calls us to something beautiful. We do have to be willing to follow his lead, though. We get dusty in his footsteps. So imagine what it would look like. I think we see a lot of that here. I'm not, believe me, here I go again. I'm, I'm here, right? So I'm going to make sure you all don't feel like terrible right now. <laughs> Because I am proud of you. And I've said it already five times this service. I'm very glad to get to be your pastor. And very glad to see the type of culture I think that we're creating that really tries to not give up that for the expense of that or that for the expense of that, but to live into the grace and the truth of Jesus. What would your life look like if you were honest with yourself every day about this? What would Wyoming look like if we continue not only to emphasize the unconditional grace and love of God, unmerited, unearned,
but if we also were willing to say, let's confront some of the stuff that's helping people to stay stuck. I love that we get to feed kids on the weekend who are hungry, but wouldn't it be great if they weren't hungry to begin with? If there was things we could be a part of that maybe helped parents have stable employment or places to live. I love, I mean, isn't it an honor? We feed 370 kids a weekend. That's crazy. I'm not bragging, hopefully, but it's just something to think about. How, how can we make that number go down? Hmm. You guys want to give it a couple years and see what we can do together? I do. I've been thinking about this church that we're a part of for like 15 years, and it feels like I'm just getting started. I have no further notes or things to say, so I think I'll pray now, but I want to invite you to be honest, guys. Be honest with God, be honest with yourself. Don't go too far to condemn yourself, but don't ignore the need for challenge in your life either. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, pray that I've been faithful with this idea. I know there's lots of words, um, lots of thoughts, lots of ways to apply it, lots of contexts. Um, at least as many as there are in this room. And uh, we have many, many stories of moments in time when you met people when they might have been in that dead quadrant, when it felt like an apathetic season. Who cares? Oh, but it's so beautiful to see when your spirit seems to come alive in somebody, when it seems to really have nothing to do with the actions of another, but just out of nowhere, you become real. And you become like that voice that for thousands of years has been calling people home back into our identity as your children and also into partnership with you to make this world become as beautiful as you desire it to be and that heaven would be occupied with men and women across the globe from every nation, tribe, and tongue who caught your spirit pray that this word will be a seed planted in good soil and that it will lead to more grace and more truth for us individually and as a little family here.